His word is alive. His word is powerful. His word is the water that will wash your soul. And this is why we are camping in Psalm 119. Because 119 is about the word of God. Amen? Now, I know last week I said we want to talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit, but even if I contemplated and meditated this week, there is more in Psalm 119, and I just want to quickly, don't want to run away from it, because I believe the Lord still wants to talk to us. And I know there's a lot of sermons around these days that you can follow, and it's all about prophecy, and we are in prophecy. I don't know if you've noticed it, but we are in the last days. These are the last days. I know a lot of people say that, and you go, but wait a minute, preacher, where is the last days? Maybe you are the blind one. I want to suggest maybe you don't see what is written in Scripture and happening right in front of your eyes. You just have to look at it. You have to look at the, at the fig tree. The Bible says there in Matthew 24, if the fig tree starts to bot, its summer is near, you need to look out for these things. And we know that Israel is the fig tree. And it is bodding. I don't know if you don't see it. You need to wake up before the coffee gets cold. Things are happening quickly in front of our eyes. And I will preach if the Lord leads me towards that. There's a lot of people, good scholars out there, good people preaching about Bible prophecy. Uh, and we will do in due time. But I want to come to the Word. Because, brothers and sisters, if it comes to difficult times, there's only one who can stand with you, and that's Jesus. He is the solid rock and foundation. And the Word which He's given us will not change. It is secure and the world is coming with a lot of deceivement. And it is going to come with deceivement. The Bible says there's going to be people coming to you and say, come and look, here's the Messiah. Come and see, Jesus has come already. They're going to pull you into the wilderness. They're going to pull you into homes. They're going to pull you. They're going to say, we've got the message. It's already happening. And what have you got? What have you got to show you and not to be deceived? It is only one, and that is the Word of God. Amen? I don't have to ask for an amen, it's just so. It is the Word of God and the power thereof which will sustain you. And my brother, Oral, do we preach the Word in this church? If we go away from the Word of God in this church, we're in trouble. Then I can't preach anymore, I can't lead you, because it's not me leading you, I'm just a signpost pointing you towards Christ. He's the one. So... I want to talk to you today a little bit further in Psalm 119, and specifically there in verse 66. Uh, it says there, I believe in your commandments. We will get to the verse, but this is the words that really resonated with me during this week. I believe in your commandments. The word they believe is believe in Jesus Christ. In this particular case, it was in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant. They didn't have Jesus yet like we do. We have Him. How privileged are we? When David wrote this down, he didn't have Jesus physically there. Although every single thing in the Old Testament points towards Christ. Everything. This is why we don't live under the Old Covenant anymore. We visit the Old Covenant to learn more, to grow more spiritually. This is why we spend time in the Old Testament. This is why I spend time in Psalms. But you have to understand, brother and sister, we have moved out under the Old Covenant, and we are standing under a new covenant, a better covenant. 
And we, we spoke about it today. This is the new covenant. This is my blood. My blood poured for you. It is not the blood that covers sin anymore. But if you accept the blood of Jesus Christ, it will wash away your sin. Come on, shout hallelujah. It will wash away your sin. It doesn't cover the sin anymore. You see, in the Old Testament, I showed this to you before. This is you. This is David. And then when God looked at him, he goes, David, you, you were in adultery. You murdered a man for Bathsheba. All of these things. I come down to you and I need to crush you because of the sin that you've done. And then they had to kill all of these animals. And the blood, the atoning blood will cover. The, in the Old Covenant, it covers it. So that when God looks, He sees the blood. You remember in Exodus, He says, take blood and put it on the doorpost. So that when the angel of death comes past, He will see the blood. When I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass it over. The Passover. Praise the Lord, we're not under the Passover anymore. Because now what happens? He came and He washed away our sin. And now when He looked at us, He looked at us through Jesus Christ. His blood is the perfect blood. And here, here in the Old Testament, when He comes and He says, I believe in your commandments, these commandments, every single one of them, pointed towards Christ. All of them. The Old Testament. The feasts. All of the law in the Old Testament pointed towards Christ. It is about Christ. I can't preach you anything else but Christ. Amen. Now, the words they believe is, you know, I trust in your word. I trust in your word. I want you to ask yourself this question. Are you truly trusting in the word of God today? Are you trusting in it? Trust and believe for there is no other way. Are you trusting faithfully in Jesus? Because we have his word and the word is Jesus. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the Word was God. The Logos, the written Word. And now the psalmist right down here, and it gives him encouragement. I want you to think about David when people pursued him, uh, like they're pursuing you, and they will soon pursue you even more for your faith. They pursued him. They wanted to kill him. He had the guilt stain on him. He had sin on him, all of these things. And in the midst of those things, he write down, I trust in your word. I trust in it. Now, I've done this for you. If you want to take a photo, you can get it afterwards. If you go through Psalm 119, there is different words that he uses for the word of God. There is the law, statutes, precepts, decrees, commands, law, word. As you know, Psalm 119 is broken up in 22 parts of eight verses each. Each one of those verses represent the alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet. And this is what these are. And you will find in all of those eight, these, it's an interaction between these words. He uses the Torah, which is the Lord. Edoth is the statues, which means the testimonies or the witness of God. And then I found it very fascinating that if you read through and you go and see all of these meanings of these words, that it's got a specific, specific message for you. I'm going to use some of it today. The crease is hukum, which is an inscribed and binding. When he talks about the crease in the Bible, it's a decree from God. And nobody can change the decrees from God. If God says it will be so, then it will be so. And you better believe it. 
All of these things happen to us. There is commands. It's called mitzvah, which is the orders of God. And then he talks about mispat, which is the decisions of God. And let me tell you, brother and sister, as I'm learning even to this day, that the decisions of God over your life is always the right decision. It is when you mess with those, it's when you meddle with God's decisions over your life that you find yourself in trouble. And I'm not saying if trouble comes your way, because in the book of James says that we need to count it all joy when what happens? When trials comes your way, when tests comes your way, tests will come your way, because we are people of faith, are we? Let me see, who's the people of faith here today? We are all people of faith. Now, if you proclaim to be a person of faith, guess what? Your faith will be tested as surely as I'm standing in front of you today. You can't just sit there with your little ship, your boat in the harbor, and you go, look at this beautiful boat which is called faith. It sits in safety in a harbor, and whilst it sits in the harbor, you go, oh, I've got so much faith. No, no, no. It's when you push that little boat out into the open sea, and the winds of disparity and angst and all of this comes upon you. That's when the mast gets tested. That's when your sails get tested. So if the tests come your way, stand firm in faith. Will you? Will you stand firm in faith? But we need an anchor. And that anchor is what I present to you today again, like I've done over the last few weeks. And that is the Word of God. Amen. The Word of God, if you hold on to that, it is a plumb line in your life. It corrects you. It is a lamp unto your feet, and it's a light unto your path. Now, you know our theme for the last few weeks is delighting ourselves in the Word of God and meditating in it day and night. Have you delighted yourself in the Word of God this last week? Have you? Have you truly delighted yourself? Have you opened up the Scriptures so hungry in your soul every single day and you say, Lord, show me your precepts. Show me your decrees for my life. Have you? Have you? I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, this is where we live. This is where we find joy for our soul. The joy of the Lord will become your strength. So we meditate on it day and night. And today, as I said, we want to come to this verse in 166. He says in verse 65, You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord. I love that passage, don't you? Can you sit here this morning and say, Lord, you have dealt well with me? Can you? Who can do that? Who can do that? Who can just say, praise the Lord, you have dealt well with me, Lord? You know, the plumb lines or the lines has fallen into good places. You know, the posterity of God is so wonderful. It is so wonderful when He's in charge of your life. It doesn't mean you do nothing. It doesn't mean you just go and sit on a couch now and become a couch potato. No, no, that's when you will become fat and, and unfit. No, no, you get off there. You gird up the loins of your knees and, and, and you know, the strength in your knees and your arms and you walk in the faith of God. You walk in His posterity. And it is so wonderful when this man comes and he says, you have dealt well with your servant. Do you know the lifestyle or the life of David? He went through a lot of adversaries. Yet he still says, you have dealt well. Thank you, my sister, for reading that Habakkuk this morning. Though, though there's no fruit on the trees and people say, it is done for you. No, no, the Lord will supply. The Lord will sustain. The Lord will lift you up. He's dealing well with his servants. 
He's dealing well with His servants, O Lord. According to what? According to what? Come on, church. According to your word. What does it say? It says that every single promise in the Bible is yes and amen. If you say amen, it says you agree with that. That's what amen means. Every promise from God is yes and amen. Do not walk away from the promise of God. And then he comes to this one. He says, teach me good judgment and knowledge. I find it fascinating when this servant of God comes and he says, Father, you've dealt so well with me. It is so easy for us to step away. It's so easy for us to get into that comfort zone. Oh, the Lord's blessing is over me. But there's still a hunger in this man's heart. Can you see it? Can you see the hunger in his heart when he says, teach me good judgment and knowledge. Father, I've never reached the point where I'm satisfied. Paul says it even. Paul says, I haven't achieved yet. I haven't achieved, I haven't come to the point where I go. I'm all there now. He says, no, no, Lord, I still need some teaching from you. And then he says, for I believe in your commandments. Now he uses the word mitzvah there. He says, I believe in your orders. Whatever you've ordered over my life, Father, I trust it. I trust and obey it. Now, my sister is right. On Friday evening, I was there at the home service, and I was talking about John chapter 6, and I want to go back to that today because I want to pick something out of there to come to an understanding what the psalmist say. We know that Jesus was walking there, and, and He multiplied the bread and the fish. 5,000 people were fed there in John chapter 6. You know the story there. You know the testimony and the people were so wonderful. He let them sit down, and they all ate. And afterwards, he said to them, collect what is left over. And they had 12 baskets full that they could, could collect. And Jesus sends them over. He sends them over the sea away. And he goes up onto the mountain, and he prays. You remember? And then from the mountain, he could see them there on this little sea. And what happens in the sea? There's a storm that starts coming up against them. The wind starts to blow against them. And what happens? These men, Jesus is not in the boat. He's not there. Where is Jesus in your life? Some people love to go out without Jesus. And we see so quickly that if Jesus is not in your life, trouble comes quickly. Even if He's there. But this particular time, when these men are halfway through the sea, and it becomes dark at night, and the wind is blowing, and they feel they're going to go under. Maybe you're sitting like that this morning. They're crying out. They're so afraid what's going to happen. And Jesus started walking on the water towards them. And they are so occupied with their problems. They are so occupied with things happening in their life that they don't even recognize Jesus. When He came over, they thought He was a ghost. They were so afraid. And He says, peace be with you, it's I. And you know that Peter wanted to go out. And I want to skip all over those because I want to come to a specific place. That Jesus then went to them to the other side. And, and there's these people sitting there. And I want to st stay on them a bit. They were just fed with food in their stomachs. And it was so good. Isn't it good when Jesus just provides for you? And you come up here and you testify. You tell everybody how Jesus provided for you. And it is important that we testify. It is important that we come and tell what Jesus did. And these people, no doubt, if you went around there and you see the crowds and you go on and you're fresh, then you say, what's happened here? And they go, oh, there's this Jesus, this man. He gave us a lot of food. Man, our bellies were full last night. It is so wonderful when Jesus provides, isn't it? 
But the next morning, what happens? The belly is empty. And now we're seeking again. And what do they do? They look for whom? They look for Jesus. Where's that kind man? Where's that wonderful man who gave us free lunch? He gave us food, isn't it? Oh, I believe. If you walked around those people and you asked them and you say, do you believe in Jesus? They would have said, yes, I believe in Him. Why? Because He gave me a full belly yesterday. You see, this is the problem of today. People come to Jesus for what He can do for you. Oh, Jesus, if only, if only you can do this for me. Now, the people on Friday night heard me say this, so you have to hear it twice, okay? Oh, oh Jesus, if only you can do this for me. If only you can fill my belly up again. Oh, oh, Jesus, you mean so much to me. I believe in you, but the only reason they believe in him is for what he has done for them. Don't be a Christian like that, will you? Don't be there just to see what Jesus can give you, a free lunch or to help you out of your problems. We find it now in John chapter 6, verse 25. And when they had found him, you see, they, they couldn't see him on that side. And people get so, uh, it's so crazy. Where's Jesus? Oh, he's gone. The men in the boat. Where's Jesus? He's not in the boat. But he was sitting on the mountain looking down upon them. Listen, brothers and sisters, dear friends, we are in, in the ocean right now in our lives. Right now. He's not sitting on a mountain anymore, but he sits in heaven where the Bible says he is our intercessor. That should give you confidence today. Doesn't matter what ocean you're in and what storm you're in, and you know, it can become dark clouds all about you. You've got to stand firm in your faith and trust on the word of God. And these people came over, and when they found Jesus on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? That's an interesting question to me. Because I think in the back of their minds they had, we need some food. And again, Jesus didn't come to this world to look after your needs. The Bible nowhere says that He came, that He's going to provide you financially, or He's going to provide you with food, or He's going to provide you with clothes, or He's going to provide you with comfort. Some people just believe in Jesus and they follow Him for comfort. I need Jesus because I'm lonely, I need comfort. That's not why He came. Let's be clear today. The Bible says Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Somebody say hallelujah to that. He came to save sinners, which I am a sinner, and He came to save me. But these people came to Him and they said to Him, How did you come here? We didn't see you get in a boat. We saw your disciples get in a boat. How did you come here? And I love it when Jesus answers them and He says, He answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, You seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you are you ate of the loaves and were filled. You see, we are living in a science dispensation right now. People want to see miracles. They want to see the signs. They want to go to churches where they see what they call the power of God. I've had a man once in this church. We've been here for seven going eight years. A man came here for a few, few Sundays and then he said to me, no, no, this is not the church for him because the power of God's not here. And I said, God bless you, heart, brother. We can't manufacture God's power. We can't put God on a stage. You see, these people are trying to put Jesus on a stage. They said, yesterday you provided for us. 
But now it's more than that. Listen to me. If you are following signs, if there's a man coming from America who's doing all of these signs and you run after him, you are running after the wrong person. You need to run after Jesus. Let me just be clear about that. Because there cometh a time when science is not going to impress you anymore. And you want more. You want more. You want something to fill that emptiness inside of you. Every single one who's looking at me right now were born with an emptiness inside of you. And the only one who can fill that is Jesus. The only one. These people in the physical nature came and their tummies are rumbling and they're hungry. Now they're looking for an income producer. Jesus Christ is not your income producer. You find people these days, they struggle. And the first people they call is the church. They struggle and they call the church. Because the church must now look after them. There's no, no, no. The, what the Bible says is that the church needs to proclaim the gospel. Go and make disciples and baptize them and teach them. Is it hard word today? But it's true. I'm saying it's standing on the power of God. The church is not an organization. It's not a social club. Coming to Jesus is not a social thing that you do. Becoming my buddy. I'm running in his posse. No, no, he's God. Let it be understood that on God's level, there's nobody else. You ain't there. You come on that level through Jesus Christ, through his blood, through his word that he spoke. He said, I'll send my son so that you may come before me. How privileged are you? And then still people are looking for an income producer. You see, Jesus for a lot of people is just a product. It's a product. And this is what they came to him. Jesus called this out. He says, you came because you want some food. And now he says here in this wonderful verse, verse 27, Do not labor for the food which perish, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man... The Son of Man will give you because God the Father has sent His seal on Him. This is a powerful verse. You see that word labor there means it's toil. It takes some strength from you. It, it, when, when you start in the morning, you are fresh. You are wake up. You had your coffee and you've slept well. You've had a good breakfast. You're strong. You go into the day. And at the end of the day, when you walk into the house, some people walk in like this and go, I'm, I'm spent. That's what he talks about here. And he says that there are people who put all their efforts in into the things that perish. What are you spending most of your time in? What is it? How much of your, how much of your day, how much of your week, how much of your efforts, how much of your resources, how much of your brain power are you putting into Jesus every day? This is what this is about. How much are you, how much are you investing? How much are you delighting yourself in God's Word? And, and how much is that draining from you? How much is that? This is what Jesus addresses here. He says you labor, you, you pull your strength, you throw everything into stuff that perishes. <clears throat> I've said it a few weeks ago, a hundred years from now, somebody else will live in your house, somebody else will drive your car, somebody else will spend your money, and you will be a forgotten entity. 
And yet we still, we still want to pour everything in there. But Jesus turns it around. He says you need to spend it on food which induces to everlasting life, which the Son of Man. And if you've been here for a long time, I've given you the titles of Jesus. He's the Son of God because He came from God. He is God, but He's the Son of Man, the one who from the earth reached out to God and interceded for us. That's why He's the Son of Man. You, you remember when Job called out and he says, who will be able to reach out from earth to heaven on my behalf? No one except Jesus, the Son of Man. This is so powerful. And my sister, thank you for confirming again. And you're going to hear it again. When I look at everlasting life, then I say, Lord, how can we buy this everlasting life? Because a good question. They're going to ask that question. I'll come back to it. But he says there is something that you labor for which is costing you real money. But there's something else that you need. This is what you want, but this is what you need. You need everlasting life. Let it, let it be clear. I want you to look. For people looking online, I want to be perfectly honestly clear. If you're here in the next 24 hours, you don't need the things of the world. You need Jesus. You need eternal life. That's what you need. This life is a short space of time. In God's space of time, it's like a blop. It's like a small little dot. Your life, your whole life, where are you going to spend it for the rest? I love it when we come and we find the answer in Isaiah 55, my sister. He says there in Isaiah 55, verse 1, and, and if you haven't got this verse underlined in your Bible, underline it or learn it off by heart, because it's such a powerful scripture verse in the Old Testament, points towards Jesus. He says, oh! Am I allowed? Oh, I can't shout it even louder. You know, I'm standing there on that station and I see these people. They're just going like ants. They're just running for the train. They run. I've got to be somewhere. I've got to be somewhere. And this is the busyness of your life. I've got to achieve this. I've got to do that. I've got to do that. And you've got your whole life still there. And there's just this one voice crying out. And he says, whoa, whoa, just stop the horses there. Just, just calm down. Just come to a stop. Everyone who thirst, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Now that is unbelievable in our day and age, is it? Have you noticed how the prices went up and food prices? Hey, Trish. I mean, yesterday when we, when we went to buy some food for Dorcas, we had our own little trolley there. You see, we don't mix the two. We had Dorcas for the church to bless and then we had, oh, and honestly, there was only a few stuff and a few sweets as well. I'm, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I had to say it, brother. And, and we put that through, and I, I'm amazed. $160 for two bags. I want to come into an economy where I have to buy stuff without any money. Would you love that economy? I, I present that to you today. It's a wonderful economy. And let me say that that $166 that I've spent yesterday on a few sweet stuff as well, Dennis, but there's some good stuff there as well. A week from now, it's going to be done. And I'll have to spend again, Corey. <laughs> but here I've got something for you which you don't have to spend again. And look at this. He says, yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. 
wine, joy in the Old Testament, milk is substance. He says, why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? You know, I've seen how people spend their wages on stuff and they, oh, you know, I'm so happy today, but then tomorrow they're not happy, they have to buy more. And then they spend their money on that stuff and then they, they've got it and then they're not satisfied anymore and then they've got to buy more. Do you know people like that? I know, certainly. And, and it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't satisfy. You know, keep on doing that. Listen carefully to me. Now I want us to listen here at Mar- Maranatha today. And eat what is good and let your soul delight in itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me here and you shall live. What was he talking about? He was talking about this. This. We are so privileged because we are Jesus saying this. In the Old Testament when the prophet was saying this to the nation, they had to try to work out, what do you mean? What do you mean? How privileged are we today? We have this. And it's so powerful. We go back. John 6, 66. He says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Why didn't they walk with him? Because Jesus is going on now and he says to them, You need to do this work. And they ask Jesus, What is the works that we shall do? The works of God. You remember that? What is it that we shall do? Because we are a works-based people, isn't it? I mean, you do some work and you stand back from it and you feel satisfied. I've achieved something. This is how we were brought up. And this is in our DNA. And, and we bring that same mentality when we come to the spiritual things of God. But, you know, Paul wrote down there in Corinthians, he says, The natural man do not understand the things of the Spirit. You need to discern it spiritually. And here people come in the flesh. You know, we want to worship and praise you in the flesh, Lord. I'm going to come every single Sunday to church. And, and Lord Jesus, if you can only take this problem away from me, I will serve you for the rest of my life. Have you heard that one? Have you prayed it? <laughs> I have prayed it in my life. No, you're just telling a lie. You're telling a lie. I've heard people pray that. They're on their knees and say, Oh Lord, there's big problem in my life. Oh, my question always is, why didn't you praise Him before the problems came for the rest of your life? We direct today, aren't we, Jan? We direct today. Why? You see, they came and they said, What work shall we do? We want to feel good. We want to feel if we do this one thing, if we uphold that law, or if we don't eat this stuff, or if we do these things, we feel, man, yeah, today I, I, no, no, God doesn't operate in that way. Because He says to them, He says, this is the work of God, if you believe in the Son, in Christ Jesus, if you believe in Jesus. And then Jesus turns around to them and He says that you need to eat my body and drink my blood. Wow, that's a hard word. Wait a minute, we're not cannibals. Do you honestly believe we're going to now eat you? But you see, they discern it in a, in a physical way, not in a spiritual way. And then they'd walk away, and I want to get to this quickly because I want to give you three things, and then we'll pray. He says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. You see, this is what I see in the world today. People come to church because they need Jesus, only when it goes tough with them. And when he produces to them and he gets them out of their problems, they disappear. They disappear. But when they come 
and they sit, and the word is too hard. I've seen that certainly as well. You see, <laughs> I've got two eyes looking at you, and I've got so many eyes looking at me, but I can see faces, and sometimes when I preach, and I give the word, and the word, the word is hard, I can see in some people's the veil goes up. They get offended. And I always say, do I offend you? Praise the Lord, I hope I offend you. Because Jesus come, and his word is an offense to this world. It's an offense to your family. This is why your family don't like you anymore. It's an offense to your friends. It's an offense to your workplace. You go out with your friends and your work. Your, they are so, you know, the work. Let, let me just tell you, the work, a week, when you leave your job, a week after that, they will forget about you. Don't put your trust in things that won't last. And here they, they came to him and he didn't give them food anymore, have you noticed? Where's those people that say the church will always have to? You must. There's no must there. There's only one must for the church. You need to go out and make disciples, baptize them and teach them. That's what the church must do. And then we look after our own. Yes? And then we reach out again. And look at this now. They walk away from him. Then Jesus said to the twelve, I love this, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, and this is words that I stand on, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And they also came to believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. You see, we trust in Jesus with all of our heart. And we lean not on our own understanding. And we acknowledge Him in all of our ways. We acknowledge Him. And He directs our path. How do we acknowledge Jesus? We pray. We read His Word. We have a relationship with Him. Every morning when I wake up, Jesus is there. I say, good morning, Jesus. Thank you for a good night's rest. Did you do that this morning, by the way, when you woke up? Did you get out of the bed? Are you going to do it tomorrow morning when you slept and half an hour late? And now you've got to get through the Monash, I mean Monash and forgot about it. You can still sit in your... I speak to the Lord in my car. If only my steering wheel can tell, man, that's my pulpit. You should hear the sermons I preach from that pulpit. I keep my eyes open, don't worry. So if you see my, vit, my white Volvo coming up in the Monash, you don't have to disappear in front of me. I'm, I've got my eyes open. But I talk to the Lord and He talks to me. And here is it, you know, we need to trust in Him. And now what does it mean to trust in the Lord? Have you ever thought, what does it mean to trust in the Lord? It means we rely upon His promises, His wisdom, His power, and His love to help us in every circumstance. That is what it is to trust Him. Now, uh, let me just give you three. Why is the psalmist so, why does he trust so much in the Lord? I want to just give you three and then we'll move on. First of all, his word is eternal. Who knows that? Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. All will change, but Jesus never. Glory to His name. I can sing that song every day. Brother Glenn, I've got a new song, brother. I'm going to be on the monast tomorrow. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is. I'm running out of breath. <laughs> Amen. 
But you see, He's eternal, but He's also righteous, His word, and true. First of all, God's word is eternal. We go back to Psalm 119. He says in 89, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled. He uses the word dabar, which means the word, the spoken word of God. He says that word that you've spoken is settled in heaven forever. You can stand on the word, brother and sister, in your difficult time. That's why I love the Gideon's Bible. You know, it comes out with these, you know, you can read a scripture verse, but it goes beyond that. He says, your faithfulness endures all generations. And here we sit. We're a generation. His faithfulness endured in the first generation, the second generation. How many generations is there? I don't know. I don't know. But in all of those generations, what happened? His faithfulness endured in that. Can you say the Lord is faithful this morning? They continue this day according to your ordinances. When he says ordinances, they use this word mispat, which means your decisions. He says that the, the word, your ordinances, it, it's according to your decisions for all your servants. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands for ever. This is what Peter uses when he writes, when he writes to those people who were persecuted in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 24. He says the word of God will stand forever and you have to stand in it. You have to believe it. It is the same words that was spoken to Moses, to Abraham, to David, to Isaiah, and it is is the same words which he speaks to you and to me today. Whatever he meant for those men, meant for us today. You remember what I said, there's a threefold application of the Word of God. There's a local application, prophetic application, and a personal application. Aren't you just glad for the Word of God? Amen. It brings us close to Him. The Word of God withstood the test of time. There's no book like the Word of God. There's no Holy Scriptures like the Word of God. It is so powerful and so wonderful. Secondly, The Word of God is righteous and moral. It is our plumb line. It is our plumb line. doesn't matter where you came from. In this church here sits people from India, from South Africa, from New Zealand, from Italy, from all over the world, from, from, from Israel. There's people in this room from all over. But the Word of God is that is that plumb line for us. It is the righteousness and moral for us. In verse 128, therefore all your precepts, he uses the word pickwood there, it means your detailed instructions. Therefore, Lord, all of your detailed instructions concerning all things I consider to be right. I hate every false way. It's moral. It is righteous. Psalm 119 verse 137, Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright your judgments, your mispat, your decisions, your testimonies which you have commanded are righteous and very faithful. You see, when he writes this down, he says, I hate these false things inside of me. But this talks about God's righteousness. What are you doing with God's word? You see, when something is consistently right, it becomes trustworthy, isn't it? And this is why we go to Psalm, we go to Exodus, we go to Genesis, we go to to all these passages in the Old Testament, we come to, to, to the letters to the churches, and it's consistently right. There's no mistakes in God's Word. 
It, it's the same as you relying on your watch, isn't it? You've got a beautiful watch. I like watches. And uh, the other day I put the watch on and I walked uh, and I've got my phone with me. And I looked on my watch. I go, yeah, I've got plenty of time. And I just keep on doing stuff. And I go, there's something wrong here. <laughs> the battery was flat. So fair to say that watch is not a reliable watch anymore until I change the battery. But you see, brothers and sisters, God's battery don't run down. <laughs> the word is the same. And it's as energetic to me as it was to David. Oh man, I can just get so excited about it. He's so consistent, God, and so righteous. His teachings right through His Scriptures makes the word trustworthy. Psalm 172. My tongue shall speak of your word. That means promises for all your commandments are righteous. So first of all, we see that it's an everlasting word. It's a righteous and moral word. And then finally today, God's word is true and real. Do you want to shout hallelujah to that? It's true and real, verse 142, all out of Psalm 119, by the way. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law, your Torah, is truth. You can stand on it. You can bank it. It is so wonderful. Not only true, it's also real. Verse 151, you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. Verse 160, the entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. So I pray that you will get excited about God's word, that you, that you delight yourself in it. Let me give you one last verse. Verse 89, unless your law had been my delight, I would then have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts. By them, by them you have given me life. By them you have given me life. Hey Peter, do you guys also want to go? Do you also want to walk away like so many people do in the church today? Do you want to walk away? Is the word too hard for you? Peter comes to the master and he says, Lord, where shall we go? Where shall we go? I want to ask you this morning, where do you want to go? I'm not talking churchy, churchy, church here. You can go to any other church. That's not what I'm talking about. But apart from Jesus, where shall you go? Because you have the words of life. Now there's a responsibility for you and me. Have you accepted the words of life? Have you? Is it living inside of you? What are you doing with it? What are you doing with that words of life? Don't you want to share that word of life to those around you who are perishing? Who are still looking for the food that fills the stomach? You go, but uh, I'm not called for that. Yes, you are. Everyone is called. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you continue, you continue in Psalm 119 to bless my heart, and I pray that you bless my hearers' hearts as well. But it's not about me or them, Father, it's about your word, which is powerful, and it is, it is worthy, Father.